Beloved brothers and sisters, it is so good to be here with you. I thank the Lord for the opportunity to worship and praise Him with you together. On behalf of the Biblical Seminary of the Philippines, our dedicated faculty and staff, along with our hardworking students here in the Philippines and even around the world, we want to greet all of you a truly blessed and joyous Christmas. May it be a joyous Christmas, not so much because of the places that you would go or events that you will attend. If truth were known, none of us will be able to do that. May it be a joyous Christmas, not because of presents that we may receive and maybe not a whole lot of that again, but it is a joyous Christmas because we have the love of God in Jesus Christ. Because we know the Lord Jesus, all fear is gone. Because we know Jesus and we have him in our hearts, you know, our, uh, you know all our future is settled and accounted for because he holds our future. And life is worth the living. And because of that, indeed, there is reason to be joyous here in the Christmas time, in Christmas season. Let it be for you and your family. So once again, brothers and sisters, a blessed Christmas to all of you. As we come to God's Word, would you join me and let's come before the Lord in prayer. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, our Lord Jesus, Lord, he is the way. Father, you know that we are lost. You know that we are wandering about aimlessly and without direction. We thank you for the way that is our Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is truth. We live in a, in a world that is deceived and is full of deception, O oh God. So we thank you for the truth in Jesus. And we thank you that Jesus is life. Lord, we are filled with darkness. Lord, we are filled in a world of death. But in Jesus, there is life. So, Father, we thank you for Jesus, our Lord. Help us to see him this morning. Help us to love him even dearly so that we may walk in him. Let it be, O oh God, for we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to begin this morning by sharing with you something that I read. I came across a story of a five-year-old boy named Johnny. Johnny was in the kitchen with his mother who was preparing dinner. His mother asked Johnny to go into the pantry to get a can of tomato soup. But Johnny didn't want to go. It's dark in there, he cried. I'm scared. But his mother said to him, it's okay, dear. Jesus will be in there with you. So little Johnny walked hesitantly to the door. When he opened it, he said, Jesus, if you're in there, would you hand me the tomato soup? <laughs> Wouldn't it be wonderful like little Johnny to know that God is here? Do you know that God wants you and I to know that he is here with us right now. For the past 
few weeks, we've been studying the book of Exodus. We finally come to the very end of the book, which, if you don't know, is also the heart, the center of Exodus. Many of us think Exodus is about freedom from bondage, and it is, but it's not the only thing. You see, Exodus is about freedom from something, but also freedom for something. In this case, Exodus is about freedom for fellowship with God. You see, chapters 25 all the way to where we are, the very end, chapter 40 of Exodus, that's about one-third of the whole book of Exodus. It's about setting up a structure called a tabernacle. A tabernacle is a portable tent where God meets with his people. Would you listen to Exodus chapter 25, verse 8? In this verse, God told Moses, And let them, my people, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God continued on in chapter 29, verses 45 to 46 with these words. I will dwell among the people of Israel and, they, and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. You see, it was God's plan all along from the very beginning, not merely to deliver his people from bondage, but to bring them into a relationship with him. You know, what made the promised land a land of promise was that God is going to be there with his people. And the assurance of Exodus is that God himself will lead them to that final destination and that God will be with them in the travel and that God will dwell with them wherever they camp. Through this, the Israelites, God's people, will know God personally and intimately. And as we will find out this morning, this promise is also for you and for me today. Finally, here in verses 34 to 38, the day is here. Every piece of the furniture was in place. The tent had been set up. And God's people was watching with expectation. God himself came. He came in a form of a cloud, and he settled in the midst of his people. Why? Why is this an important event that we need to know even today? Let me share with you two reasons why God came. Let's look at each one of them today, shall we? First of all, God came down so that we would know that he is near. God came down so that he would know, that we would know, that he is not distant. He is not separated. He is not unaware of what is going on with us because he is near. Look with me in verses 34 and 35. It says there, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, 
and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What is this cloud that is mentioned here in verses 34 to 35? If you've been following with us in Exodus, you would know about this cloud. We first see it in chapter 14. The cloud was the cloud which helped Israel during the crossing of the Red Sea. That same cloud continued on to guide and to protect God's people through the wilderness. It was the cloud that the Israelites saw on top of Mount Sinai when they arrived at the foot of the mountain. This cloud was the way God chose to reveal Himself. Someone describes it as the visible presence of an invisible God. That's right. That's exactly what it is. It is God's way of saying, hey, I'm here. I'm with you through this cloud. At the same time, you know, I, I would imagine that the cloud is not, it's more than just a sign. You could imagine how as you walk through the wilderness, how hot and how dry it is, how the sun would beat down mercilessly upon both young and old. But this cloud, this cloud over God's people presented a cool, a shade-giving grace from heaven. Through this cloud, God was graciously protecting. God was lovingly providing for His weak and helpless people. But there's more. The cloud also displayed the glory of God. God's glory was something awesome. At the same time, it is also something frightening the closer you get to it. The Hebrew word for glory is the word chabod, chabod. And it means something that is heavy, something that is weighty. I think, let me use an illustration to help us understand what chabod means. Think of a reaction when someone of high position, someone who is famous, walks into a room. You know how it is. Someone who is uh, uh, in the news or something like that. They just walk in the room. What is the reaction? What happens? You notice that the atmosphere changes. You feel something heavy, something powerful fills the space in our midst. That's chabod. That's the glory. That's the same as with the glory of God. You see, we're speaking of, some, of God's weight of His worthness. We sing of His worthiness. That's what we have in mind, the worthness of God. For this reason, the Israelites understood that being in the presence of God must be taken with utmost care and with deep respect. Perhaps it is for this reason that we're told that Moses was not able to enter the tent and that he did not enter at that moment. Why? Because you don't just walk right in before God. None of us can. None of us should unless He invites us first into His presence, which God did. Just look at Leviticus 1.1, the very next book, the very first verse. God called to Moses, Moses, come to me. And Moses entered into the presence of God. You see, the message of Exodus 40 is this. God came. 
And God is here. He is now near us. But the question is, do you want him to be near? Do you long for his nearness? That's the question. In James chapter 4, verse 8, we're told, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. How many of us, those are music to our ears. Those are wonderful news. God wants to be near me. I could be next to God. That's what James 4.8 is saying. I'm reminded of a man who've always rejected the message of salvation in Jesus. At one point, he called it garbage. The idea that God would become man to save us from our sins. On a one cold, snowy night, he happened to see three young cats walking past his window outside. The man thought to himself, what fools? They're surely freeze out there. So out of compassion, this man put on his hat, put on his coat, and went out, calling to the cats, come here, come here, cats. Come inside my house where it will be warm and there'll be food for you. You'll die out there, he said. But the cats ran away. The cats were frightened by this stranger. But the man persisted. He went on, come back. Don't be afraid. I want to save you. And the man continued to call out, but the cats were gone. It was too late. Well, I did everything I could for them, said the man. What more could I do? I'd had to become a cat myself in order to reach them, in order to save them. Because if I became a cat, cat, I could tell them and I could show them. Then they would believe me unless they are fools. Just at the moment he said those words, church bells rang in a distance. And once he got into his house, this man got on his knees. This man wept. God came. God wants to be near us, not just physically, but relationally. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. I have a friend who always include two words after his signature. The words that he would write are the words pro nobis, pro nobis. Those two words are Latin words, which mean in English, for us, for us. When asked why he always include those words when he signs, my friend would most likely choked up, tear up. You see, he would explain how growing up, he, it was deeply, deeply painful. And he was even suicidal because he assumed that God didn't care about him and that God had given up on him until he learned that God came in Jesus and that Jesus died on the cross so that we would be forgiven and that Jesus reminds us that God is pro nobis for us. And that made all the difference 
for him. For he found hope through those two simple words, pro nobis, for us. Brothers and sisters, beloved, God came. He is near. Do you know him? Do you want him? Secondly, God came down, not just so that we would know he is near, but that so we would know that he must lead our lives. When God came, he wants us to know that he must lead our life. Would you look with me in verses 36 to 38? Throughout all their journeys, wherever the cloud was taken over, up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day it was taken out. Verse 38, so the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and was fire in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is a wonderful passage. I remember reading it, and it just filled me with joy. I think of people who are on a journey. Think about it, you know. If you were on a long, difficult journey, what would you want the most? Direction, I'm sure. How about assistance? That would be even better. But you know, God provides the best. You know what he did? You know what God would give us? Himself. You see, deep in our heart, it's a guide that we wanted all along. It's a guide that we needed. Let me, th let me ask you this. Which one would you prefer if you were lost? Would you want someone to give you a map? Or would you like a kind person to tell you, hey, I'm heading in the same direction. I'll go with you and show you the way. Or how about, you know, what would you prefer on the first day of a new school, in a new school or a new job? Would you want to be given a list of options, things to do, places to go? Or would you like a friend who tells you, hey, I got some free time. I'll show you around. You know, being guided by God is part of the relationship. You know, we thank, we're thankful for signs, but signs are temporary. Relationships are permanent. Signs, as good as they are, can be misinterpreted, can be misread, and can even be missed altogether. God wants to lead us himself each step of the way. He does that best by walking next to us. For God's people, guidance comes from an ongoing relationship with God. But there's a danger that we need to watch out. You know, as we think about this cloud, I'm afraid that, that, we, may fear, that we may treat God as, as something that we could just pack into our bags, something that we could uh, just put and then pull out wherever, whenever we feel the need for an experience or, at best, a miracle. Most of the time, we make our life decisions according to where we want to go, what we want to do. And we generally regard God as an afterthought. You know, God is just one of those things 
that can be squeezed into your bag, which would be good to bring along just in case it rains, it gets cold, or something. We essentially treat God as a divine ways or a GPS system to be consulted when needed or wanted. But to live that way is to completely, and, my, and I, let me say tragically, misunderstand God. God doesn't work that way. God will not be used by us for our purpose. Listen to what God says in Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9. God said, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. The message of Exodus 40 is God came, not so that he will just be a buddy to you, but he came to lead us in the way we should go. We are to follow God where he leads, as opposed to taking God where we want to go. The lesson of the tabernacle is not so Israel could take God with them, but so that they might be able to follow the leading of God. It was portable so that they could follow God, not so that they could carry him around like a credit card to be used whenever they want to. This week, I was reading a book appropriately entitled Doctrine That Dances. I like that. In it, author Robert Smith had a very interesting insight. He said these words. He said, when I was meditating on the word guidance, I kept seeing dance at the end of the word, guidance. And that word keep coming up. I remember reading that doing God's will is a lot like dancing. When two people try to lead, nothing feels right. The, moment, the movement doesn't flow with the music, and everything is quite uncomfortable and jerky. When one person realizes that and lets the other lead, both bodies begin to flow with the music. One gives gentle cues, perhaps a nudge in the back, or by pressing lightly in one direction or another, and it's as if the two became one body, moving beautifully. And the, you see, dance takes surrender, willingness and attentiveness from one person, and gentle guidance and skill from the other. Smith continues, my eyes drew back to the word guidance. When I saw G, I thought of God. It is followed by you and I. Huh. God, you, and I dance. Guy dance. God, you, and me dance. Smith concludes with these words. As I lower my head in prayer, I became willing to trust that I would get guidance in my life. For that, I am willing to let God lead. As we study this passage, some of us might say, wow, wouldn't it be great to live 
during the time of the Exodus. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could just if we could be there and to see the glory of God fill the tabernacle. Well, we don't have to. Because John chapter 1, verse 14 tells us the word became flesh and dwelt. That word is the word tabernacle. The word became flesh and tabernacled with among us. And we saw his chabod, his glory. You see, that glory cloud in Exodus 40 took on skin and bones. You see, he came, he slept and ate, he wept, he died, and he rose again from the dead. And Jesus is coming again. The good news is that the God who came and dwelt in the tabernacle is the same God who came in Jesus and now dwells in everyone who belongs to him. And this God is the God of open access. He's not just a God of, that comes to you once a year, but every moment of every day for the rest of our life. And he invites us to come and draw near to him. The question is, do you know him? Do you want him into your life? Is he near you? Is he your Lord and Savior? So why did God come down? He came down so that you would know he is near. He came down so that you would know that he must lead your life, my life. That God did not just rescue us. God did not just rescue the Israelites from Egypt and then left them to figure things out themselves in the same way God wants us to know that he saves us so that we may have a relationship with him. As we celebrate Christmas this season, do you have that assurance? Do you have that confidence? As we go through the rest of this year, as we look to the new year to come, God wants to be with us every step of the way. He wants to guide you and me by his glorious light to lead us night and day until we reach the promised land to be with him for eternity. May that be your joy. May that be your peace. Let's pray. Our loving and gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for drawing near. Thank you that you are not a God far away, but you are close to us. May we know you in our Lord Jesus Christ. May, we, may all of us have received him as Savior and Lord. But at the same time, that we will submit to you, O God, and to your leading in our life. If truth were known, the struggle, the fear, the anxiety that we have is because we want to take the lead. And it's messy, it's jerky, and we're filled with fear and anxiety. But as we put our trust in you, and as we put our, uh, fix our eyes on you and to follow your way, you will grant us your joy. You will grant us your peace. Let it be, O oh God, this Christmas. Let it be, O oh God, for the days to come and even for the new year. Oh, come, let us adore.
him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. 